Welcome to Let's Get Writing, the podcast that explores the creative process of writing from books, scripts, plays, and poems to songs and blogs. This series focuses on authors, publishers, and artists. Catherine's guests share their process of writing in all its forms. Listen along to discover personal journeys behind their work, explore options from indie to traditional publishing, and learn tips and secrets to inspire you. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. I'm your host, Katherine Taylor. This is a show all about the writing process. But as we sit at Christmas time, I thought, how nice would it be to speak to authors who've actually written stories around Christmas and about Christmas that would stir your heartstrings. And if you're not living at home here in Newfoundland and Labrador, maybe make you wish you were or bring our home to a little closer to you. And so we're going to meet a few guests on this show, beginning with Andy Jones. And he has a special tale to tell. And I think everyone knows Andy. I'm going to bring him up in the screen and his wonderful sense of humor, his contribution to theater and writing across our country. Hi, Andy. Merry Christmas. Hi, Catherine. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure as always. And what was also a pleasure for me was reading your book. I'm just going to show it in the screen, Jack in the Manger. Andy, you put a twist on Christmas with this book. Tell people a little bit about it. Well, you know, I, I, I love that Christmas story. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, that story of Jesus being born in the stable and, and all that stuff. And, and so I, I sort of wanted to reclaim the story uh, as folktale. Uh, more than as a religious tract, and uh, so I thought I would like to write it a as if it were a Newfoundland folktale from the point of view of the character Jack, who is kind of the archetypal Newfoundland folk hero uh, for the folktales, and uh, so I, I uh, put Jack into the scene. Well, Jack does a magnificent job of taking us through the, the adventure of running into uh, Mary and Joseph, who are not so readily identified by him at first. And he's so fresh in how he approaches things. But uh, so Jack is not just Jack in the manger. Jack's been around for a while, but this was one of the earlier books, wasn't it? Uh, yes, it was actually. Yeah, yeah, of the books, yeah. So would you like to share a little bit of Jack with us so people can get the feel for this folk tale? Okay, okay. So, it, it, uh, you know, I, I, I approach it from a different point of view. Anyway, here it is. <laughs> now, uh, this story you may have heard, but this we'll say is from a different point of view. Uh, once upon a time, in olden times, it come to pass that there was a mighty emperor, and his name was Caesar Augustus. Now, <clears throat> when he was a young fellow, this Caesar Augustus, he went to the circus one time, his uncle Julius. And at the circus, he had to guess how many gumballs there was into an urn, a jar about, about, about this size. Well, anyway, he guessed it right and he won all the gumballs. But ever after, he had to know how much of everything was into everything. Like if he passed by a hen house, he had to know how many chickens was inside. Then his servants would have to go into the hen house and count all the chickens. If he passed by a pond, he had to know how many fish was into it. They had to drain the pond and count the fish. He had everybody drove. And when he grew up to be emperor, same thing. He'd ask his servants, how 
many olives do you suppose is in that barrel? And they say, oh, well, there's thousands by. And he'd say, no, no, exactly how many olives is there? And they'd have to empty out the barrel and count them. They'd say, Augustus, they'd say, we should be growing olives, not counting them. Anyway, whatever way it was, one day the emperor got to wonder, how many people in India is into my empire? empire? Well, his servants tried to fob him off and say, oh, there's millions, by and leave it at that. But that was no good for Gumball. That's what they call him now, behind his back, Gumball. Till one of his servants suggested, he said, you make a decree, he said, that everybody got to return to the town they were born in, and they got to stay there until they're counted. And somebody else suggested, while they're there, why not tax them? And that's what he done. And so it come to pass that the emperor, Caesar Augustus, he give out that everybody was to return home to the town that they were born in, to be counted and taxed. And I suppose that was the first to come home here. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Andy, no one can read it like you. I mean, it, it, it's your work, but it's also the way you deliver it. That's my, my own stuff. It's your own stuff. And all, also, we should say, the book is published by Running the Goat Books, um, mm -hmm. Marnie Parsons um, in Taurus Cove. And it's, the artwork is beautiful. I'm just going to put up uh, this. Well, this is the last page. I don't want to jump ahead too far, but... It's just lovely, and it's also available as an audiobook, correct? You voiced it. Yes. Also, you can get that from uh, Running the Goat Books, yes. Yes. So, Andy, what do you recommend for your wonderful folktale? Uh, people wanting to, to read this, is, is, how, do you, how do you suggest they do? Because they're not going to read it like you. What's a nice way to do it? Well, uh, I, uh, you know, like, I think this isn't really uh, for little small kids. It's... Uh, I think this piece is meant to be read out loud uh, by a good reader for the whole family. Um, because it's, uh, well, for one thing, you, you got to kind of know the background of Jesus' story to, to get the, the, the comedy. Um, and uh, a lot of kids they don't know that. But anyway, it was, we, were, we were brought up on that. Well, that's a good suggestion. If, and if you can't do that, obviously they can have you read it yourself with your audio book and follow oh, along. That's another yeah, wonderful yeah. option. Yeah. So take us a little farther, I think, along to the end of the story. Oh, okay, well, well. so eventually, uh, you know, uh, Jack is on the road and, uh, and he meets up with this couple, uh, this uh, Mary, and he can't remember the fellow's name. Um, but anyway, um, uh, and uh, since they're, they live very close to each other, they kind of decide to uh, travel together because uh, 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 Jack is actually from a, a place called the Mount of Pearls, which is very near where Mary and Joseph live, which they just call the Pearl. Um, and anyway, uh, so they, they get to be, get to chatting and Mary tells them that this is going to be a special baby and some of that. And Jack is, you know, very skeptical about all that, but, you know, he thinks all youngsters are special. So, uh, but anyway, uh, they go on and he realizes she's pregnant, obviously, very pregnant. And um, and so they walk along and say, I'll, I'll jump ahead. He says, and it was a cold, cold night. And they were just coming into Bethlehem. And Jack was just going to say goodbye to the young couple when Mary, the young woman, she turned shock and pale. She says, oh, my, she says, the baby's coming. 
And the husband says, we, we, we got to find a place for to have that baby. And Jack says, never you mind, he says. I know lots of people hereabouts. So I'll get you a hotel room. And Jack goes to a buddy of his who works at the Bethlehem Hotel at the Fair Mountain. And buddy says, uh, Jack, boy, he says, uh, there's no place to stay here. We're, we're full up because of Emperor Gumball's counting tax plan. Even the boiler room is full. And, and Jack goes to another buddy of his who works at a traveler's inn where you can tie up your donkey outside next to your door. And lo and behold, they got no place to rent. So Jack goes back to Mary and her husband and says he, he can't find nothing. He says, but if you can walk a bit further on, he says, you can stay at my basement apartment in the Pearl. But oh, it becomes obvious. They ain't going to make it. That baby's coming fast. So Jack runs up to a nearby farmhouse and the farmer, he's a bit suspicious, but he lets them all sleep in the stable. And before you could say, Bob's your uncle, that sweet little youngster is born. And they wrap him in swaddling clothes. And after he was plimmed to the gills with milk, he was allied right down in the manger, where the cows would normally eat their hay. A little boy he was, as was predicted by at least three angels. And the young fellow's fine, no problems. Now, now the father, he wanted to call him Ralph. But the mother said, no. He said, he's meant to be called Yeshua. Uh, that's Jesus, we call it now. And Jack looks at that young baby, and he got to admit there's something special about the little fella. And he's moved. Yes, Jack is struck, and he says, I got, he says, I got to go spread the good news. So he goes out, he meets, uh, he meets the shepherds and tells them to come in. And he meets the three wise men, he thinks they're mummers. Uh, but anyway, uh, it turns out, you know, that this beautiful Christmas scene. Jack leaves, and and um, I don't know. Anyway, that's 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 the end of the birth part. Anyway. <laughs> well, what a beautiful take on a very wonderful story. Thank you so much for sharing that, Andy. And I want to wish you and your family a very merry Christmas. And uh, I'll see you again soon. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Merry Christmas, everyone. Bye now. My next guest on this Christmas show is Gary Collins, and he's a Newfoundland and Labrador's favorite storyteller. And today he's known all over the province as the story man. And his favorite pastimes are reading and writing and playing guitar in his log cabin. That sounds pretty darn nice, especially the way life is these days. And he's coming to us from Hare Bay, Newfoundland. Hi, Gary. Hi, Catherine, nice to talk to you again. Yes, it is nice to talk to you. And our theme this time, of course, is Christmas. And uh, you have uh, a number of books that you've written, but one of them, which you wrote back, I believe, was it 2013, Gary? Yes, yes, it was. And yeah, and it was called A Time That Was. And I think that A Time That Was kind of says a lot, the title. Uh, but you tell us about this book. I guess the, the writing of a time that was, was to recollect and try to get down on paper of a time that most of us will probably never see again. So is it, it is a time that was and things that used to be. And I was asked to do so by uh, my publisher, Flanker Press. And uh, I got my thoughts together and it came about, it came about pretty fluid. I got to say it wasn't uh, this is not a book of Santa Claus and the chimney stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's a Christmas book. But if you're reading the first few pages, you, you wonder where Christmas is going.
going to take place. And it always does at the end. There's always a little Christmas scene. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, writing the book. And it brought back a hell of a lot of memories that I thought were gone. It was really good. I really did enjoy writing it. And it's, it's had great response. Well, you know, Gary, you say memories that you thought were gone. I think your memories are pretty strong and pretty good. Unfortunately for that. Yes. And into your writing, I find your writing is very textural that way. And you capture so well the Newfoundland experience. And particularly in this book, I think you are you have about how many stories are in there? 10, 12? Uh, 10 stories, as true as I can make them. As Now, there's, there's the point that I wanted to come <laughs> to, as true as you can make them. And so in this book, these stories actually happened you've got the names of people and um so how did you choose these stories how did they find you maybe uh, most of the stories uh, were of my youth and uh, as you said the names are accurate and true permission was from most of them the ones who were still alive to use their names uh, a few a few contemporary stories of like the days when i was a high school uh, high school trucker up in the western arctic there's a story in there with that, so that's a more contemporary one. And uh, there's the one in there with Mummers, and it was brought on by Semini's very famous Mummer song. And I told a story about the Mummer that came to our door at night, very late at night when he should not have been out, dressed in a barrel. And my father was a logger away at the logging camps. And I was an only child adopted, by the way. And my mother didn't want to let the Mummer, who was banging on the door with the barrel, in. He had two, uh, two O's axed in the barrel for his eyes and one for his nose and mouth where smoke came out. So obviously the, the mummer was smoking. And my mother wouldn't let him in. And uh, subsequently he left the door and he staggered away and I thought I would recognize him when he took the barrel away from his head because I knew everybody in the place whenever it's a town. But he was back onto me and I didn't know him. And I was 35 years old before my uncle told me who it actually was. So that was the story. That was the Christmas. That's, can't say I blame your mother. I don't think I'm <laughs> no, yeah. I'll be letting that person in yeah. either. Yeah. So that's one, And Gary, there's that was one of the stories, so many yeah. things. Yeah, well, unique about our province and perhaps the small communities, but not all the stories are based in Newfoundland. No, the... Uh, one story, like I just said, that took place in the Beaufort Sea in Canada's Western Arctic, where I was a nice little trucker for a number of years. There's another story, I, I know we don't have a lot of time. Uh, an uncle of mine was part of the British Navy. And in 1943, he found himself on a minesweeper in the English Channel. And the story goes on and leads up to this point. No mention of Christmas yet. So on Christmas Eve, they, they were deployed to... And as you know, the minesweeper was probably the most dangerous vessel on the ocean during the war because mm. by its very nature, they would sweep the mines and bring them to the surface and detonate them with a rifle. So on Christmas Eve, my uh, uncle's name was Marsh, and he wore an old, what he called, levitated uh, life vest that he was sure would never keep him afloat because it was full of soot and burn marks from his cigarettes and torn in places, but they had to wear it anyway. So about 11 o'clock on Christmas Eve, a plane returning from the bombing London 
dropped the bomb on the minesweeper, and she was sunk. And uh, five men were killed. Marshall wasn't one of them. But he found himself afloat in the English Channel in the black hours of Christmas Day. A British ship came by, did not stop because it was too dangerous. They didn't stop. So it went about a mile away, and they put out a lifeboat, and the lifeboat rolled back to where all the men were dead and dying. And Marshall was one of them, surprised because the life vessel kept them afloat, chattering and on a very bad state of hypothermia, about to die. When the English sailor reached over the gunwale of the boat and reached the hall marshalling over the side, he said, Merry Christmas, old chap. And Malcolm Marsh said, Merry Christmas, old cock. That was a Christmas story. <laughs> so, so... <laughs> Typical of, of, I guess, the British in the Newfoundland because yeah. we're very closely, we're very closely connected. And I was fortunate enough for Uncle Mars to tell me that story himself. So it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. So these are, and now the book, it was a bestseller. It's sold out a couple of times, has it not? Yes, it's, it's sold out again today. Well, if people want to get this book, they'll have to put a request into Flanker Press to do another run. That's right, yes. And Gary, you have a new book coming out in the um, in the new year, so we're going to have you back on the show then. What's the name of that book, if you can share it? I just found out a couple of days ago, actually. I think the pub date is February 11th, somewhere around that time, depending on how much snow is on the highways, bringing, bringing the books around across the Gulf. So the title of the book is called Red Jack. Uh, it's, Red Jack. it's the last of a trilogy. The first book was The Cracky, The Police, that Red Jack was an astounding character throughout both books and more pronounced in this last one. So the last book is Red Jack's name, the character Red Jack. Well, I'll have you, uh, I'll have you back on at that, uh, at that time. And, um, thank you. For and that. We'll, we'll yeah. delve into it. But in the meantime, I want to thank you so much for taking a bit of time for your day from your day to come on here and share a little bit about your Christmas book. And I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. It's been my pleasure to talk with you again. I look forward to our next meeting. Hopefully is face to face across the room. Uh, I don't know. But maybe it will be. You're not too I far away. I'm thankful about that. But anyway, <laughs> I'd like to wish you, all of your listeners and lookers, and all of my readers for buying my book, the most blessed of Christmas to you and all that you hold dear. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Gary. And say Merry Christmas to your wife, Rose, as well. I, most assuredly will. <laughs> okay. Thank Thanks you again. so much. Bye now. Bye. And my next guest on this special Christmas show is Bernice Morgan, an author with whom we are all familiar. Hello, Bernice. Welcome to Let's Get Writing. Glad to be here, Kathy. I'm so happy to have you here. We're going to talk to you a little bit about the children's book you published with Running the Goat Books a few years ago called Seasons Before the War. But I thank you. Yes. And I know you're going to read from that. So I think before we do anything, let's give you a chance to share some of that story. And if you wish to preface it, that would be fine. Uh, well, uh, Shalloway Youth Choir asked me to uh, do a reading for that they do a Christmas program. And essentially I was doing readings in between while the children or the young people were going on and off stage. I did it down at St. Mary's Church and the following year at Gower Street. 
and I did seasons, four seasons. So several people asked me for the book, and there was no book. So I decided to write a book. And so really, Shalloway and uh, Kathy Walsh and that group are to thank for this book. <laughs> the book is essentially about growing up and the games we played when I was a child before the Second World War. And I'm just going to read a section about Christmas, but it goes right through the year. But I'm just going to read the Christmas section. Perfect. Take it away. Okay, Kathy. Um, I'm going to skip around a little bit. Uh, once a year in that country of my childhood, a week or so into December, adults seem suddenly to become aware of children, watching us play, making a kind of reckoning, asking what we would like Santa to bring us this year. They, and then inquiring all innocently what had happened to the toys we got last year, that doll and that spin top. The sense of being targeted was really depressing. And at, the, at some point, I thought that Christmas might not happen. The strain was terrible. Then just when it seemed that Christmas would be canceled, the telegram announced that Toyland would be opening downtown on December 15th. Not just borings, but airs and the royal stores and bears. They would all be open and they would be open at night. On the chosen night, this was a long process of choosing, but on the chosen night, we children waited in the doorway while our father turned off the basement lights and found Charlie's aviator cap, which he wouldn't leave without. And they fussed over the baby, but finally we got down to Water Street. Just being outdoor, outdoors after dark was an adventure, but being down town, going down over the courthouse steps, looking at the great theater that was Water Street. We walked slowly because there was all the voices and the sounds, the sounds of horses hooves and car engines and the clanking of tire chains and the rattling of streetcars and the lights. There were lights everywhere, street lights and colored lights and lights over archways and windows and you know, there was an eerie green light that used to flicker up from the sidewalks. You don't see it anymore. I don't know where it came from. And the stores. We would do the water side first. The, the, the windows all decorated with Santa Clauses and baby Jesus and lambs. And in one store, I think it was Borings, they had a whole village. They had a shops and a church and thatch roofed houses and fields and cows and lambs and tiny boats that sailed around on the mirror of ocean. And it was all circled around the entire village with a train that moved round and round and smoke came out of the, real smoke came out of the train chimney. We did all the stores on the water side, going all the way up, all the way up, seeing the Salvation Army and the bed and Christmas carols in Joel's Cove and the tinsel tree in the red plush lobby of the stores. And we, my, in one store, they had rubber stores, I think. They had this wonderful thing where the clerk put money into a little container and it went up the wall and across the ceiling and all around. And it came back down out of a hole in the ceiling and the clerk opened it and there was the right change. 
And in the stores, you couldn't touch anything. But behind the counters, there was all the toys in the world. Doll carriages and slides from England and little china tea sets and a piano. It was all just wonderful. And when we finished the full length of the water side, then we came down on the land side. And there was lots of things over there too. But the biggest attraction was the rattles. Boys running up and down the sidewalk, ringing bells and smoke coming out of the doors because all the people inside were smoking. And in the window, there was two or three great big gobbly roosters, turkeys gobbling and strutting around and fighting sometimes. It was marvelous. We saw everything until we were just tired out. And then we took a golden arrow coach back up Lawns Hill and we got off at the bus terminal just where Stanley's chips were parked. And the smell of vinegar and fat blew all around, all around the Martin Road. And then, after a moment's hesitation, my father said, maybe just this time we could waste 25 cents and buy a package of chips for each of us, five cents each. And a man leaned out with packages of chips wrapped up in, in telegram pieces of paper, grease-soaked, and they tasted wonderful. They were the best chips you ever tasted in the world. And we trudged along eating chips up the hill towards home. For good and for ill, much of that long ago world was about to vanish. The children's songs, the horses, the small workshops, the seamen and their songs, the fields, and the guileless assumption of safety. But you know, in memory, we're still there, all of us. Daddy with his squiff hat and navy overcoat, carrying my sister Edna, Mommy in her astrachan coat, holding his arm, and Charlie and I walking behind, my brother wearing his ugly breeks, and me in my red coat and my pussy boots. Hollywood snowflakes floated down around us. There was no slushy sidewalk, no freezing feet, no sickness or war, no next year coming towards us. We were all so young and innocent, stuffing hot chips into our mouths, licking vinegar off our fingers, trudging slowly in Freshwater Road towards home, towards bed. And that's how the book ends, with the happy family going back up Freshwater Road in the snow, eating chips. Beautiful. Thank, thank you. I, I know that was a little bit of an abbreviated reading, but I mean, <laughs> you, you captured it because, you, you know, you very, very, very abbreviated. But it was beautiful. Trying to help this uh, hill. And anyone familiar with St. John's knows the hills, but I have to say I had one of those tea sets. <laughs> Yes, I did from Japan, one of the little tea sets. And I grew up in Grand Falls, Windsor, Bernice. And, you know, we were a long way in, in, from the big stores, but we had a Royal stores. Oh, and yeah. it, Those we, Royal stores that had the, the containers with the change in them. Yes. Yeah. I don't remember that, but I remember cash registers. <laughs> but, but, but I do remember my fascination with going in that store because it was beautiful. And, uh, Wonderful. And I just want, I want to thank you so much for sharing this with us and um, to wish you as well and your family a, a very Merry Christmas. 
Same to you. And thank you for having me. Oh, a pleasure. I hope you'll come back and we'll do a full show. We'll do an Easter one, maybe. An Easter one for, that'll be a project for the new year. And everyone uh, out there, I just want to thank you so much for your support and joining Let's Get Writing this year. Um, it's been so much fun, and I look forward to 2022 with more wonderful guests. Merry Christmas, or however you celebrate the season, and I hope you have joy in your heart this year. Thank you again, Bernice. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear from you. So please let us know what you thought of this episode and share your ideas for future guests or topics. You can email us at letsgetwriting at katherinetaylor.ca. Don't forget to subscribe and even leave a review. And if you love this episode, share it with a friend. Until next time, believe in yourself and let's get writing.